make any difference what the appearance of things are. Everything is possible to them that believe, right? And so that's the issue, right? Where is your believer at? I mean, how are you maintaining that yourself in a posture of faith for expectation of what you don't see? Amen? That's it. That's a very important issue because we're seeing a lot of things, some of them that we like okay, a lot of them we don't. And so it's very important that we are not caught up in the things that we don't like to dictate where we are at in terms of expectation of the plan of God manifesting in our lives. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Let's just look this morning. That includes today because I feel about as spiritual as a potato today. And you know what? Thanks be unto God that I do because Paul said, when I'm weak, then I'm strong because it does take the grace of God and the anointing of God. That's what we want. We don't want men's abilities. We want the anointing of God. Amen. Because that is the burden moving, yoke destroying power of God. Hallelujah. And that's what we seek to, to receive this morning. So let's just, if you'll agree with me, let's just plug into the teacher the teacher, the Holy Spirit this morning. Father, we're so grateful for an opportunity to come and break bread together. We're so grateful, most importantly, for Jesus. And we exalt Jesus to the highest place right now. Jesus, you are our King. Jesus, you are our Lord. And Jesus, you are our Savior. And we thank you for the great love wherewith you loved us. And you gave yourself for us. That when we were at our worst state, you died for us, Father. You gave us the greatest thing that we could have ever received. So how much more this morning, as your children, would we receive the goodness from your hand? And we thank you, Father God. And we declare by faith, we have open ears. We have ears to hear this morning. We have eyes to see this morning. We have good soil of heart. And we thank you, Father, that the word will be sown by the Spirit of God and it will become an engrafted word in our soul that will bring salvation to our soul and to our body this morning. In the name of Jesus and all glory unto you, Father. Amen. Praise the Lord this morning. Well, I had a PowerPoint and it lost all of its power about 10 minutes ago. Uh, so I was a little bit frustrated by that because I'd taken time to build that, you know, and it's nice to kind of have a little visual guide as you're going through a teaching. I'm a teacher for those of you all that don't know. I'm a teacher by motivation and by, by uh, gifting from the spirit of God and just by natural inclination. I love to disseminate knowledge. It's not because I want to tell people how much I know. It's because I like to help people learn things. And, uh, uh, it's, it's something that's in, been inside of me since I was a little kid. And so I love to do this. And so I, as a teacher, I like to have visual aids. Uh, and so PowerPoint is a wonderful thing because you can have some nice visual uh, progression through what you're doing and kind of, you know, be able to highlight. And if I had a laser pointer even, I'm going to get one of those eventually. But I do not have a PowerPoint this morning, so I apologize for that. I had one, but it blew up on me. And I tried to fix it about 10 minutes ago, and it's not working. So we'll just leave the power in the points. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. We'll leave the power in the points that the Spirit of God would bring forth this morning. 
And I'm going to tell you the first one by utterance of the Spirit of God is this. Everyone turn over to 2 Corinthians 2. And this is just going to be free of charge this morning because this isn't a part of the lesson. But turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And let's look at verse 14. 2 Corinthians 2. Let's look at verse 14. Is everyone there? Now, thanks be unto God who always, everyone say always. How, long, how many times is always? Well, now you're never supposed to define a term with the term itself. Forever. Is it every time? Is there one time in the word always that always doesn't apply to? No. It's every time, right? I believe we're going to get some revelation this morning. Now, thanks be unto God who always, everybody say always, leads us in triumph. What does that mean, triumph? Oh, let me hear that again. Now, what is victory over what? Okay, someone said sin, someone said everything. It's all, because if you say always, then whatever it is that you're having a battle with, then it's got to apply to that, doesn't it? So it can be sin. It can be a lack of monetary ability to do something. It can be a lack of physical strength in your body because you're fighting some sort of a sickness. Amen? It can be a lack of maybe even mental capability, because, and you're going to school and you're battling and battling and battling against... Uh, differential equations class and you're like dear lord who came up with this but you know what the bible says thanks be unto god who now i want you to know this morning that god has not called us to an every once in a while triumph if that verse is true, then we are intended to always triumph, to always triumph. And if you go on and you look and you see the, the next thing that's hooked up to this, because we have the nice conjunction and through us diffusing the fragrance. You know, the bottom line is, is that we're to smell to people. We have a fragrance. Jesus had a fragrance. His, sac his life was a living sacrifice, and it said that it came up before the Father God. Do you know that your life, as you lay it down for a friend, is a sacrifice, a fragrant offering before the Lord? As you are obedient, there is a fragrance that goes up into heaven that God is pleased with. And I'll tell you this morning that we have a smell whether good or bad. And I'm not talking about B.O. And I'm not talking about the ability to cover that up. You know, isn't it interesting in the natural, we can see man's continual efforts to cover up. You know, we saw it from the beginning, whenever he sinned and messed up, the first thing that he wanted to do was sow the fig leaves because we had to cover our nakedness, our shame. It was man's attempt to be able to institute or cover his ability with his own strength in justifying himself. Well, you know, the same thing happens in the physical body. We make something called cologne to cover up. 
You know, we make deodorant to cover up. But you know, the raw truth is, is that our fragrance is one of the Spirit, folks. It's one of sacrifice. Isn't it interesting that so much to do with sacrifice has what? It has incense associated with it. Do you understand? Have you, you all know what I'm talking about? You know, I mean, people, you go into most any culture and religion, and there's something to, to do with burning an essence of smoke. That's a fragrance. The smoke represents physical manifestation of fragrance. I'll tell you this morning that God wishes that our lives, as we put them on the altar in a living sacrifice in accordance with Romans 12, 1 and 2, as they're consumed by the fire of God, having laid our agendas down, our plans down in exchange for his, that it goes up a fragrant offering. And let me tell you, it doesn't only bring a pleasing aroma unto the Father God. It sets forth an aroma that identifies you as his own. Hallelujah. And so how can I say that? Well, let's look over here. It says, diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ. Among those who are being saved, did you know that those who are being saved, and if you look at that, really, it talks about uh, among those who are perishing. To one, we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. What in the world does that mean? How can we smell as both death and life unto people? Well, folks, the bottom line is, is unto each other as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we smell dead to each other dead to ourselves, dead to the things that we would want to do in spite of the kingdom of God. But unto those that are perishing, the smell is the smell of life and a fragrant uh, aroma. Do you see what I'm saying? That's what that scripture is talking about. So the bottom line is, is that our triumph is, is pivotal unto our aroma. Our ability to walk through life in victory and in triumph, as, as this says, thanks be unto God who always causes our, us to triumph and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Well, the bottom line is, is that that triumph is, uh, has to do with, with your ability to surrender under God and sacrifice, amen, of your abilities, of your desires, of your agenda, and being consumed by his fire, then that registers an aroma unto one of life and one of death. Anyway, I wanted to share this morning that you are destined to triumph according to the scripture of God. If you are not triumphing right now, where is your sacrifice? Where is your position with respect to the kingdom of God? Okay, so praise the Lord. That was free. Let's get into this. Let's get into the lesson this morning. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, I'm going to talk about something this morning that, uh, and, and actually for the next week, and I'm going to beg CJ if I can have maybe one more week after that. Uh, we'll just see how the Spirit of God leads. I'm going to tell you that this is the foundation in many respects, of our ability to live a life to accomplish the things of the kingdom. It's so pivotal, it's so important, and most importantly, to accomplish the, the mission, which is to, to, to bring people under the saving knowledge of our Christ. And I'll tell you 
that that subject is this. So if you want to put a title to it, it's, I call it, what is this thing, quote unquote, called love? What is this thing called love? And then it, I'm one of those guys that likes to put a colon and then have a subtitle. Awakening to the higher affair of the spirit. See, this is where I need my PowerPoint because it comes up and it has so much more uh, drama to it. See? So what is this thing called love? So we're going to talk about love for the next couple of weeks. Now, I want to start off a little bit, though. Before we get into this concept, it's important to review a, a foundational element, and that is who we are first, spirit, soul, and body. We need to talk about that. And in fact, the last time I was with you all to, to teach, we talked about this concept. So I invite you to go back to the back and look at the CD or, or download it for uh, September. It was somewhere around September of last year. We talked about the spirit, soul, and body for a couple of weeks. Does anyone remember that? Okay, well, I'm not going to go into a lot of review in that, but it is important because some of you all were not here. It is important to talk about this concept. I'll tell you that if you talk to anyone that has, has been around me very long, and you ask them, what is one thing that you hear Greg consistently teach and talk about? It is about this issue. It is about Learning who we are, spirit first, then soul and body. Because the, the, the truth of the matter is, or the fact of the matter is, is that the focus and development of our lives so oftentimes, 95 plus percent of our lives comprises development in two areas of, our, of who we are, and it's our soul and flesh. And we leave our poor spirit to sit there undeveloped untapped, rarely used, rarely recognized. And that is not the way it should be. And so we're going we're gonna to have to set just a little bit of a foundation before we go into love. And the reason for that is because there is more than one kind of love. In our language, we know only one love. And guess what it is? Love. It's one word, L-O-V-E. That's the only word we have for love. I love my wife. I love pizza. I love my dog. How many of y'all love your dogs? Got any dog lovers in here? What, do you, what would you do if you, in the same context, tried to convey your love to your husband and dog at the same time? Well, it'd be kind of, I mean, we have one word for it, and it's love. But yet, those of us that are older, we know the difference without having to have an explanation, right? Hopefully. And we would know that when our spouse or our significant other said something about loving the dog versus loving you, that there's a world of difference in that. Although, I will tell you, there are people... That I feel solid love their animals more than they do their fellow man. And that is sad. Uh, it's the truth. Okay, so I will tell you, let's go into this a little bit. So the bottom line is we've got to, to, to live a life to the fullness of what God's called us to. We've got to understand who we are, how we're made. We're spirit first. That's the issue number one. We are spirit first. We have a soul and we live in a body. 
This is very important to understand. So like God, we are what's called a triune being. Tri being uh, three, un being one, like uno, so three in one. We are a three in one being. And if you can look in several scriptures, Genesis 1, 26, 27, you can look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, Luke 10, 27. And I can make these notes uh, available to you uh, at a later date to give you some scripture references. We're not going to go into those. But the bottom line is we have to learn to recognize these parts and learn how to live from each of them in proper context. You know, each part contacts its own realm. And because of that, each part of who we are has its own voice. And the voices are not the same. And the realms they contact are not the same. Who you are, body, contacts one realm and has one voice. Who you are, soul, contacts one realm and has one voice. And who you are, spirit, contacts yet another realm and has another voice. Okay, so we need to learn to recognize this. So the first part is spirit. Spirit is the essence of your life, eternal. When you think of spirit, there's an eternal nature to it. The, the nature of the Spirit never ends, whether with God or apart from God. It's very important to understand. Okay, so it's referred to in the Bible as the heart. A lot of times you'll see the word heart, and that, that would render what we're talking about in terms of your person's spirit. The inward man, you'll see it referred to as the inward man, or the belly. There's a scripture that talks about, you know, uh, the belly. It talks about um, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. And I know that sounds sounds weird or odd, but if you think about belly, belly is the center of your being. If you want to talk about center mass, you hit me here. That's my center mass. You know, the belly is the center mass. Well, the spirit is your center mass. Of your being. It's the center mass of your being. So consequently, you see the word belly. Now, it's the part of your being that contacts the spirit realm. And for those of us that don't understand it, I will tell you right now, unequivocally, there is a realm that exists and it's called the spirit realm. And in fact, it's more real than what we know in the physical. The reason for that is because it preceded the physical realm. Everything we see in the physical realm had a manifestation first in the spirit realm. And so the thing is, is that, we, but the thing is, we don't contact the spirit realm with our, na- our, ma- our natural man. We don't contact the spirit realm with our reasoning and our understanding. Why? Because we can't see it. We can't touch it. We can't taste it. We can't feel it. We can't hear it with these senses. So it's a, it's, it, it doesn't compute. You know, like the robot says, does not compute, does not compute. Well, it does not compute to this. You know, the spirit realm, it's contacted by your spirit. Now, for the Christian now, your spirit is referred to in the Greek language from the word or or using the word pneuma. P-N-E-U-M-A, pneuma. And actually, it means a deep, forceful breath. And if you think about God, when he created man, what did he do? He, he scooped up a lump of clay. He formed that lump of clay, and then he did what? 
He breathed his pneuma into man. He became a living being when that breath was imparted into him. And only when that breath was parted into him. As a matter of fact, the first sign of life in your body is not necessarily your pulse. It's your what? What do they tell you when you do CPR? Look, listen, and feel, right? And you bend down there, and the first thing you do is you look for breath or feel for breath. When breath has left the body, life has left the body. Breath signifies life. And so this, the spirit is referred to as pneuma or a deep, forceful breath. And it's interesting to note that when you see the word, uh, the Greek word that's used to render Holy Spirit, capital S, it's the same word, pneuma. And so I'll tell you that a lot of times when, as you're reading through the New Testament, you'll see this word spirit. And, and the, tra- the people that translated that word translated it from the word pneuma to, to render in the right context either man's spirit or the Holy Spirit. Okay? Okay. And so the thing about this, and again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time. There's a whole lot of teaching on this, folks, I'm not going to get into. So you need to go get the, the tape from last September. So its voice, your spirit's voice, is the conscience. It is the conscience. I like to call it my gut. I'm a good old redneck from Noble County, Oklahoma, Perry. And I like to just call it my gut. What is my gut telling me? Has anyone ever heard that colloquialism? I use that all the time. It's like, man, something ain't feeling right in my gut. And I don't mean because I eat something bad. I mean it's because something doesn't add up here in the center mass of who I am. You know, the, the bottom line is, folks, every one of us have a spirit. And if you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, guess what? According to 2 Corinthians 5.17, you, that spirit has become a new creature. Having been, having been awakened from death into life and is now made in the image and the substance and the likeness of its creator, that's Father God. And that is the Holy Spirit. And that's why the Holy Spirit can come live inside of us because we have been made in the likeness in the self-same image as the Holy Ghost. So he can come inside of us then. See, he can fill us then. He can, he, we're recreated for him to be able to identify and live inside this temple. Okay? So the voice of the Spirit is, is the inner witness or the gut. Okay? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. Now, soul. Let's talk a little bit about the soul. The soul is, and boy, we have a lot about this. Boy, you know, we even have songs about it. I'm a soul man. Well, he got it right. He's a soul man, and that's about 99.9% of the people on this earth. That's about all they reach in their lifetime is a soul. As far as development, the depth of development. Yeah, I'm a soul man, all right? All of us are. Jesus was a soul man too, but in the right context and submission to his spirit. And that's what we've got to get at here. So the dimension of man that deals with the mental realm, that's the soul, deals with the mental realm. So in general, really, the soul comprises three areas, the mind, the will, and the emotions. That's a real general, if you will, uh, kind of flyover perspective of the soul is a three-dimensional. It, it, too, is really a triune being, if you will, in and of itself. The mind, will, and emotions, that comprise your soul. 
It's, it's the part that reasons. It's the part that thinks. It's the part that makes decisions. It's the part that relates in emotion. That's our soul. It's the core of your personality. Who you are. Who people identify you when they see you. They know automatically if they've been any, spent any time around you, there's already certain traits, certain characteristics they identify with automatically. Guess what? Those are manifestations of your soul. Manifestations of your soul. And from the Greek now, you'll see the word soul in the things of the soul rendered from a word called suke, P-S-U-C-H-E. And guess what? It's the shallow breath. It's like a resting breath. And really, then, if by analogy, if you look at this, one is a forceful blast and the other is a shallow breath, suke. Really, if you get right down to it, suke is your life that God gives you apart from him. And it can live apart from him. And guess what? Many people are in that. They're living apart from God, spiritually dead. They have no pneuma as far as, like, as, far as the, the reality of what that really means. They have no pneuma. They, have, they do not have the forceful breath of the Almighty living inside of them in the core of who they are. But soul-wise, they have the, that part of life that God scribed out for every person that he called before the foundation of the world to live in this dimension. And that shallow breath, that shallow life is so critically important in terms of, of what it accomplishes. Because the most important time and the thing that you have to accomplish in this 85, 90 years on average vapor of time that we have in eternity is to, with that soul, make a choice for the Spirit. Amen? Make a choice. For the pneuma. Make a choice to be renewed and made a new creature in Christ. Realizing you are apart from Him. Realizing that without Him, we have nothing. Without Him, we, we don't have life. We have just but a vapor, and then it's gone for eternity. So that's the soul. Suke, if you will. And a lot of people might be like, Greg, what is the deal with these Greek words? Why are you so obsessed with, with conveying the Greek word. And it's not that I'm trying to teach a certain word because I think it's so cool and I want you all to, to learn it from, a knowledge, from an esoteric knowledge standpoint. And it's kind of like knowledge for knowledge's sake. It's because you need to understand the Bible was translated first. Into the, I mean, it was, that was the original language that the New Testament was, tra- was written in. And because of that, if we're going to understand the reality of what was originally intended in those writings, we need to go back to the to what it came from. Because have you ever heard of the concept lost in translation? We, we have, I mean, they've made movies about it. And I didn't watch the movie, but I mean, I've heard a movie title not so long ago, Lost in Translation. Well, the bottom line is, is that things are lost in translation. They really are. And so because of that, like, and a perfect example is, guess what? Love. And we're going to get into talking about that here in just a little bit. To show you, to prove to you how things are lost, can, can be lost in translation if you don't know some of this ish, some of this stuff about you know where it came from and the different words that were used to render the word we see in the in the English or the language that we understand. 
Okay, so the soul contacts the intellectual realm. It contacts the intellectual realm. And its voice is, is reasoning. It's reasoning. That's the voice of the soul. It's reasoning and it's emotions. When you see an emotional reaction, it's an expression of your soul. Mind, will, and emotions. Remember, that's what the soul is. And the voice of your soul is reasoning. And why is this important, Greg? Why, why do we need to know the difference between soul and spirit? I'll tell you why. Because if you live entirely from the soulish perspective in pursuing the things of God, you will never achieve and walk in the power of the kingdom. You'll walk in a, a very shallow amount of it, potentially. You will never walk in the true faith that Jesus called us to walk in. You will never be able to, to fully do what God has called you to do. Why? Because you will never, you won't be able to, you're not going to be tapped into the source of instruction and the source of direction that we need to be living from and moved by, and that's the Holy Spirit. Because guess what? He doesn't speak to our minds. He speaks to our spirits. God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in. We worship him with all of parts of our being, yes. But, but first and foremost, it's a spiritual activity, our relationship to God. It's a spiritual activity. But, but you know, religion, religion confines the things of God to the soul experience. If you want to define religion, that's a real simple definition. The, the confinement of the, of the uh, pursuit of God to the soulish p- potential. Because, and, and yeah, there's a form of godliness in it, but guess what? It lacks the power of it. And the power of it is the spirit behind it. You know, that's how Paul would say, you know, the letter kills, but the spirit brings life. The, letter, the letters, many letters can come from the soul. I mean, look at all the writings. Look at all the books that have been written from the soulish perspective, even on the things of God. And you know what? There are some good things in that, some of it. A lot of bad things, too. But I'll tell you, the true life is not the word, the logos words written on a page. The life is the spirit behind those words. Do you see what I'm saying? So, again, the spirit is, is, is the principal thing here, not the soul. But yet we've done so much to develop the soul. I mean, we have an institution not a mile from here, a mile and a half from here, that's all about developing, guess what, part of you. Yeah, and it's wonderful. We should pursue knowledge. We should seek to understand things. God has put that drive in man to seek to understand things. But don't let that be the model for the way you seek God. Don't let that be the confining uh, uh, method or the steps by which you are trying to approach God. If it is, you'll never uh, uh, touch him. You'll never reach the potential. Okay, so the body. The body, we know a lot about the body and don't need to necessarily talk about it. The body is the flesh and bone house, if you will, of your soul and spirit. The flesh and bone house, it's the temple. The body contacts the physical realm through the five senses. We are very familiar with this. You know, these senses are the voice of the body. That's your voice. I mean, the senses. What are the senses telling me? What is my feeling telling me right now? What what am I touching? What do I hear? What do I smell? What do I taste? 
You know, those are, that, that's the voice of the body is the senses. Okay, so we talked about the, who you are, three in one. This is very important to understanding love if we're going to understand the, the, the deeper part of what love really is and how we are going to actually be able to love, to accomplish it and let it move through us. Okay, so now you got to learn to, we must learn to train and develop each part of your man. You know, all parts of your person are subject to growth and maturity, including your spirit. We're so used to the soulish aspects and the physical aspects. I mean, we've got gyms galore. People go and spend ad nauseum hours, you know, in the gym, lifting weights, resistance exercise, running on the treadmill, doing all this stuff. And we see a celebration of that that's ongoing right now in terms of the ability to develop your body to a performance perspective for competition. And it's called the Olympics. And I tell you, I love the Olympics. I'm a sports guy, man. You're not going to find anybody that's any quicker to want to watch a competitive event than me. I want to watch competitive events. I want to watch the things going on in the Olympics and football and things like that. And you know what? There's a wonderful aspect to our lives that is achieved through developing our bodies. But, man, there are people that spend too much time and too much focus on that. There's not a balance in terms of developing the other part of their people, of their person. <clears throat> okay? So you've got to learn to train and, and to grow the other parts of your people. You know, we are astute at training the body and training the soul. You know, we've got people that will spend... Years and years in school pursuing degree after degree after degree, you know, and you go from a perspective of associate's degree and then bachelor's degree and then master's in the universe degree and then post hole digger degree or piled higher and deeper, as some people like to call it, Ph.D. You know, and, and you can go and go and go and it's wonderful. <laughs> And that, those things are requisite for certain career pursuits and so forth. But how about your spirit? How about your poor spirit that's sitting there anemic? That's sitting there basically a skeleton because it has not been fed, because it has not been developed, because it has not been given attention to. I'm going to bring this very simply and very plainly, folks. It's very plain. It's very simple. There's nothing complex here. It's just learning how to be able to, to recognize your spirit and learning to locate it so, and how you feed it, how you develop it, how you grow your spirit, how you tap into that potential. You know, it, it is. It's because of ignorance. It's because of indifference even. Because it doesn't line up with our feelings. It doesn't line up with our ability to, to see something or to hear something with, with these senses. That, you know, we get, become indifferent to it, but we fail. I mean, we let our spirits suffer. We barely feed and develop them. And because of that, we fail to live and accomplish the things for the kingdom. Why? Because they're spiritual matters. That's why we fail in our endeavors a lot of times for the things of the kingdom, because we're trying to accomplish spiritual matters through the soul and the flesh. And it's not going to work. It's not going to work. They're spiritually discerned. The things of the kingdom are spiritual. They are spiritually discerned. They're spiritually endowed. They are spiritual matters, and so they're spiritually accomplished. So it's the principal reason... Why so? This is the principal reason why so many of Jesus' teachings 
are confounding and of limited use to us. Why? Because they, he's talking about spiritual things. And if you approach the teachings of Jesus from a perspective of trying to understand it in reason, and reason, th- so here's a good concept. Jesus talks a lot about something called faith. How, how much, I'll just ask you, Morgan, how much sense does faith make to your mind? Exactly. For, for you to be told that you, the just shall live by faith, and then when you understand from Paul later that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, how, how is it? No, it's, let me tell you, here's, here's what the voice of the soul says. Seeing is believing. Here's what the voice of the Spirit hooked up with the Word of, the God, of God, having been spoken a word, a rhema word by God, and now having a foundation for it says. It says, I see things before I see them with these eyes, and I, because I'm looking with these eyes. Do you see what, I, see what I'm trying to bring forth here? Faith is really sight. It's just sight from the Spirit. It's not sight with your mind. It's not sight with these eyes. Faith is vision of the Spirit. That's really what faith is if you want to get right down to it and just make it as simple from an analogy standpoint as we can. Faith is really sight of the Spirit. So if you're trying to understand and work faith through the soul, it will never work. You will be frustrated you will get yourself to a place of disillusionment. I've been there. I've been to the place that I thought that I was walking in faith only to realize and see me come to a crash and burn and understand that I was what I was in was not faith. What I was in was not the, was not true expectation of something that I had a real revelation about in here. That's what faith is. It's the sight that's given to you because you get a revelation of something. God speaks to you. So this is the principal reason why many of Jesus' teachings are confounding and they're of limited use. And they're of limited manifestation in people's lives because he's teaching about things of the spirit, not about things of the soul and of the flesh and how you accomplish through those latter, latter realms. It's about the spirit. And so now here we are, here we come to love now. The concept and issue of love is a perfect example of this. I mean, when you see Jesus say something, I'm just picking on Morgan this morning. So Morgan, I'll just ask you this morning, how much sense does, if Jesus was standing here, and you know, really we don't need Jesus standing here because we can read his words, right? They're red letter in a lot of people's Bibles to indicate that it was his word. You trust that was his word spoken, right? Okay, so when you read it, and I could read it to you, and you could just pretend like, you know, it's Jesus talking to you, and it is. When he says, love your enemies, what, how much sense does that make? I mean, how do you do that? Let me ask you this. Forget about sense. How do you do that? <laughs> it is a good question. Yeah. I mean, you know, the bottom line is, I'm going, to, I'm going to give you a revelation this morning, and here it is. You can't love your enemies from this. You can't love your enemies from this. So where, what part of you does that leave to activate that command? That's right. 
You, that's the only way. If Jesus, do you see? How many of y'all have been confused by that? Jesus said to love your enemies. To pray for those that despitefully use you. I mean, <clears throat> folks, we're talking about a, something that is very simple once you have this explanation given to you, but it's so deep. Because the reality is in the spirit. It's not in the soul. You cannot come from a position of soulish love and accomplish what Jesus asked us to do. So that me, now you understand why I talked a little bit about the spirit, soul, and body. Because the love that we're going to be talking about, there are different loves. There's a love from your body. There's a love from your soul. There's a love from your spirit. And guess what? English only has one word for all of them, and it's called love. But there were words in the Greek in the New Testament from which it was derived from that refer to each one of those. And so if you, if you can go back and look at the original translation in the Greek of the Bible, then you can go and see whenever Jesus says, love your enemies, he's using a word called agape. How many of y'all ever heard that? Matter of fact, there's ministries called agape ministries and agape this and agape that. You know, there's a, that refers to, that's a Greek word for love that you're talking about a spiritual source, a spiritual element, a spiritual essence, something that is eternal, something that comes from God, and in fact, something that is God. How many of y'all have ever heard the scripture, God is, and if you look, that word love is agape. God is agape. So when we talk about agape and when Jesus said to love your enemies, agape your enemies, really what he's saying is you are not doing something from a position of source from yourself. You're doing something from a source and ability of, that's right, of God. Because God is love. God is agape. And if I'm going to agape, then I'm releasing the power and potential of God. They're very simple. Now, do you see how important it was to lay a foundation of spirit, soul, and body? Because we can't agape from our soul. We can't agape from our body. The only place we can agape from is the realm from which it is sourced, and that's the spirit. Because God is spirit. You see what I'm saying? And if God is spirit, then agape, and if let's use the transitive property. How many of y'all remember the transitive property from like 8th grade, 7th grade? If A equals B... And B equals C. See, I can even use reasoning in this. Logic. Then A equals C. Y'all remember that? It's called the transitive property. If A equals B. I got some students back there. Raise, you better raise your hand. I'll let these older folks, man, not raise their hand. But you old students better. Yeah, A equals B. And B equals C. Then A equals C. It's transitive property. If God is spirit. And we know that, right? Jesus, when he was talking with the woman at the well, said, you know, he said, a day is coming and has now come when they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. He talks about because God is spirit. So if God is spirit, and then we know God is love, why? How do we know that? Well, First John chapter 4 says that. For God is love. He is agape. So if God is spirit and God is agape, agape then, a, then agape is Spirit. Do you see what I'm saying? 
I mean, does anyone disagree with that? Transitive property here. If A equals B, B equals C, then A equals C. Agape is spirit. Agape is spirit. Okay, praise the Lord. Let's move on here. Okay. So love is translated from multiple words in the original language of the Bible, but we're going to focus on the two that's used in the New Testament. Agape is the first one. I've introduced that one to you. Now, agape, what is it? Agape is the highest type of love. It is this, one person put it as, the sacrificial serving others kind of love. I like that. Because when you stop and think about who typifies or who exemplifies agape, it's Jesus. And, and, and guess what? If Jesus said, if you see me, you've seen the Father. And we know that the Father is agape because God is agape. So when you see Jesus, Jesus is agape. You, whatever he's doing, he only does what his Father does, right? He only says what his Father says. So he only does what agape does. He only says what agape says. That's Jesus. If you want to see agape in action, you look at Jesus' life. And what was his life? It was one of continual sacrificial serving of others. From start to finish in the natural. Sacrificial serving of others. That's agape love. It's motivated by intrinsic value. It's motivated by intrinsic value. Okay, so let me look around here. i got a little demonstration. Uh, <laughs> who, who am I going to pick on? Morgan. Someone said Morgan, Morgan, so I'm going to have to pick on you. Morgan, come on up here. How many of you all understand the concept of intrinsic value? Morgan, I have a $5 bill. Um, would you like that $5 bill? Okay. Hey, guess what? I, I have another one, too. Um, would you take that one? It's the same. I mean, it's a, it's the very same monetary value. I mean, it's still. I mean, it's a five dollar. It's a five dollar bill. No, I, I'm just going to give it to you. Okay. Um. So. Now, this five dollar bill is the very same, Morgan. I mean, it's it was it was printed by the U.S. Treasury. I mean, you you can. You can uh, you can go and spend it, you know, at Arby's or wherever you want to go here for lunch, you know, just like you can that $5 bill. And here it is. It's over here. Would you take this $5 bill as well? He's going to take it. Should I tell you where I got this $5 bill? You can if you want, but the bottom line <laughs> is I trust you. Oh, now he turned the tables. He said he trusted me. Well, Morgan, this isn't about trust, brother. This is just a simple, simple feat of me giving you another $5 like I gave you the first one. But, I mean, have you noticed that something is different in my giving of this $5 to you? Yes. Yes, I have. Well, you should know probably where I got this $5, or at least where it was at. I pulled it out of the toilet. And I'll just put it this way. The water was not clear. 
or lacking of solids. Do you still want this $5 bill? I'm just, if you trust me, I've got to tell him, i got to tell you, man, where it came from. So I'm just, would you still like that $5 bill? Okay. Okay, Morgan, you sit down. And for the demonstration, you can keep my keep the ten dollars. Okay, so <laughs> I think you understand what I'm trying to get a point or trying to get across here. The intrinsic value is still the same. Now I did, you know, I did not pull the five dollars out of a toilet stool. Does everyone see the, uh, what I'm trying to bring across here? There is an intrinsic value to that $5 despite where it came from. Do you see what I'm saying? It's the same. If you take that $5 down here to Walmart, it's going to spend just the same as the first one I gave him. If it did come out of the toilet with unclear water and solids involved. It would spend still just the same, right? You know, because what people don't know doesn't hurt them, right? It's like... There's your five dollars. Now, what happens if you take that, take take it out, and you hand it to him with a glove on, like I did, folks? I tell you this morning, that's the same it is with human life in the sight of God. And when God looks at people that have spent their lives washing in and out of the toilets of this culture and the world, apart from Him, and when they of their own volition would come and offer their value and potential, God will redeem it every single time because of the intrinsic value that is in that life. Hallelujah. That's a whole nother revelation besides what we're talking about here. But I tell you, it just shoots up in me. That's exactly the way God looks at every single one of us, despite what you've done, despite where you've been. As far as God's concerned, it spins still the same as it did for the other person that did not come from the toilet. And, but you know what? The bottom line is the, the redemptive value of every person's life is the blood of Jesus Christ. And when you come unto him, God doesn't hold out with a pair of gloves in his hands to take the value of that person's life. And the only way that that can be, can, can be discharged, that that can happen, folks, is from agape love. That is a lesson in agape love. Because guess what? The mind is looking at that $5 bill and saying, when I gave him the information where that last one came from, and reasoning out all the potentials that he could be infe- carry, it can carry an infection, it can carry bacteria, it can carry things that could affect him in a negative way. And there is a reasoning and there is a reconciliation that takes place in the mind because of your of, of the things that you associate with where it came from. But I'm here this morning to tell you that the Father God, who is agape, the Father God who from whom this agape actually comes from, is coming from a source and potential of love and calling for people's lives despite what they've done to themselves. And matter of fact, in spite of it. Because 
Jesus died for our, our sins. He died. It, it, you know, folks, we didn't love God because he loved us. I mean, we don't love God because we come of our own uh, volition to love him. We loved him because he first loved us. Right? Amen? See, that's the thing. Agape is always the beginning and not the result. You see what I'm saying? Agape, agape is always the source. It's never the sink. That's the way it always is with God, folks. He is always a source. No matter what you think you have done. The word of God is clear that he is quick to mercy. Agape, that's everything you see when you see those scriptures, they're talking about agape. The essence of agape, quick to mercy, slow in anger. See, the other kind of love we're going to talk about is not that way. So it's motivated by intrinsic value, not the current state of of its object. Agape is rendered by decision and not feeling. It's for the joy that was set before him that Christ endured the cross. That was a decision he made to endure that's agape. Its ultimate motivation and expression is sacrifice for its object. That's agape. It's referred to as the God kind of love. Although I'll tell you that the other kind of love is also something that God expresses, phileo love. But it's, it's the kind of love, it's the God kind of love because it is God. That's what agape is. It's a fruit of the Spirit. We're going to see that. And so it is Spirit-born and it's Spirit-originated. Okay, now I'm, I'm going to end talking about phileo right quick. Phileo love, P-H-I-L-E-O, is another type of love. And this love is a love that every single one of us are very, very uh, aware of, very astute in. We know this love. It's the one that responds in kind to the, its object of affection. This love is conditional. It's dependent on emotion. Or feeling. It's based in the experience with person or object to which it's rendered. Agape does not require a previous experience. Phileo requires experience. It's, it's experiential. You had to have had experience with the, the person or the object to which this phileo is going. You cannot have that kind of love unless you've had experience, a previous experience. This is the friendship love. Man, we're familiar with this. It's emotionally based. And this love originates from, guess where? The soul. That's exactly right, the soul. And because it's emotionally based, you know, the love originates from the soul, it's common of man. This is the love that's common to us. Agape love is, com- is common and is God. Phileo love is common and really is man. That's the depth of your love apart from God. Okay? And so let me give you some contrast and then we're done. Okay, so I'm going to have phileo and agape. So here's phileo. Phileo is natural. It's something that's like instinct. Agape is learned. You acquire this love through a a learning process. Phileo is emotional. It's emotional. It comes from the depth and pit of emotion. Agape is volitional. That means it's of your decision, of your choice. You make the decision to do this. Phileo is discriminatory. Agape is non-discriminatory. 
Phileo is conditional. Agape is unconditional. Phileo is pleasure-oriented. What am I getting out of this? I am, I am loving because I am loved. That's phileo. Agape is preciousness, intrinsic value, precious. Phileo is delight. Agape is esteem. Phileo is liking. Agape is prizing. That's, a, that's two totally different things. Did you know we're not caught? Jesus didn't say, like your enemies. He said to love them. He said to agape them. Agape has nothing to do with like. It has to do with you esteeming the value in someone that Jesus also died for. How about that? Phileo is because of. Agape is in spite of. Phileo is affectionate. Agape is sacrificial. Sacrificial. Phileo fails. Agape never fails. Phileo is temporal. Agape is eternal. And then the last one, phileo is soul. And agape is... Amen. So understanding which love, quote-unquote, the Bible is referring to then, do we not see that it's essential to understand which love, the word love in English language is coming from? If we're going to unlock the revelation and power of this concept to advance the kingdom of God in our lives and those that we influence and have a potential to affect, isn't it going to be essential for us to understand whenever someone says love in the Bible, what love that's talking about? It's very important. So we're going to talk about that next week. A little bit more, okay? Hallelujah. Hallelujah.